A few years ago, I was teaching a workshop on debt. I had 150 people register for the workshop and around 25 who turned up for the event live. That was a lot for me at the time. However, during the workshop, I couldn't help but sense and notice that there was such an overwhelming energy of shame and guilt among the participants about their debt and their spending habits. And a few days before the workshop took place, I sent out a questionnaire and most of the 100 people registrants, they replied. And so I had a, a very holistic view of who's participating and what's going on. And what I found was that many of the attendees were actually high earners and their income exceeded their expenses on paper. However, they were still in debt. And there was another larger than expected group of people within these um, registrants who were in what I now would call a debt cycle. They would accumulate thousands of dollars in consumer debt. And P.S. This workshop was to talk about consumer debt and not medical or student loans. We were just focusing on um, credit card debt in shopping, pretty much. Um, so these people who I now would say have a cycle or a pattern of going back into debt, they would accumulate thousands of dollars in consumer debt. They would be able to pay back the whole thing off and then go back into debt without actually being able to pinpoint exactly what happened or where did things go out of hand. And a lot of these people came from two uh, schools of thought. I would say uh, maybe 40% of them came from the school of thought of you just need to um, just buckle down and restrict and constrict and work really hard to pay off this, this debt that you have. So they had a lot of shame around their debt, a lot of guilt. So they would put themselves into a restrict cycle and pay off this whole debt and go straight into a binge cycle because we cannot restrict without binging because that's just you know, unbalanced, right? And then 60% of the, the people who answered the questionnaire came from another school of thought of, I'm just going to spend because I am going to manifest it. It's just going to fall into my lap. And you know what? Either of, Neither of these approaches is fully right. Neither is wrong, but we need a balance between the two. And I remember at the time I thought to myself, this debt that they are so burdened with, there must be something that's driving that pattern. And before anything, before even telling them how to, how to pay it off or how to stop it from happening again, I wanted to help them see how this debt actually, or this cycle, this, this habit, this pattern actually made sense. If they were to look at their lives in a more holistic and compassionate way. I wanted them to see how this unwanted un and very painful to them money pattern actually makes sense. Because in a trauma-informed container, we ask, what happened to you? We do not ask, what's wrong with you? It's all about looking at things from a holistic lens. And more than anything, I wanted to show them that their money patterns 
go deeper than money and he and how even their most troubling patterns can actually be understood and even leveraged to their advantage so i put out this cry for help to the universe i said please show me a way teach me a tool find like help me find the mentor that is going to help me give my people, my community, tools to start understanding themselves with more compassion. Because I did not heal my money wounds through discipline, even though I tried to and it didn't work. My money wounds started healing and unraveling when I started looking at them in a way that was compassionate and in a way that made me see that, yeah, of course I react this way with money. Look at everything that has happened with me. That is when I fell upon Deborah Price's work and the eight money archetypes. I got her book, Money Magic, and I have been using the eight money archetypes. They are the sharpest and most efficient tool in my money healing toolkit, and I love them so much. Obviously, I use them with permission because Deborah actually was the one to certify me um, to use them, and she explained them to me, and we did a lot of work around them. I cannot wait to share all this knowledge and wisdom with you here on this episode today so that you can start healing your relationship with money now because your soul is too precious and too expansive to be burdened and belittled by money. Let's go. Welcome back to the Money Healing Podcast. I am your host, Nadine Zamot. If you are new here, welcome. I am a spiritual money mentor and intuitive, um, I would say intuitive guide. <laughs> I use my intuition a lot. And I am also a CMC, which stands for Certified Money Coach by the Money Coaching Institute. And I had the honor to be certified and mentored by the one and only founder of the Money Coaching Institute and the creator of these beautiful eight money archetypes that we're going to be talking about today, Deborah Price. So, as I was saying in the intro, I stumbled across Deborah's work after hosting a workshop on debt that left me feeling like I wanted to help people better understand the why behind their financial behaviors before the what and the how. And I wanted them to learn a tool that will humanize rather than demonize their limiting beliefs and patterns around money. Because the way I see these limiting beliefs and patterns, I see them as protectors. And I wanted people to also start looking at these patterns as such because these patterns as i said in the intro they can be leveraged they're not your limitation you're not um you're not cursed for having these they can be changed transformed alchemized and also leveraged so you probably know this about me but i lived under the oppression yes it was an oppressive relationship i lived under the oppression of money for so many years and it made me feel so small and worthless and i know it sounds sad but that's how us how it made me feel but i was able to break free and it became my mission 
to help every person who is called to join my community to also break free from scarcity and fear and to step into abundance because guess what, y'all? Abundance is our birthright. But what blocks us from abundance? It's our conditioning. It's our wounding. So learning about these eight money archetypes today will really help you start looking at your negative money patterns and beliefs from a completely different perspective. And from that lens, you will be able to see much better results with your finances and your goals because you're not going to be pushing against your will and you won't be just sitting there powerless waiting for the sky to open up and save you. Okay, so this is a beautiful proactive way of working with your money blocks. So before I go on, I'm going to ask you to do two things to make this episode experience more enjoyable for you. If you haven't already, or maybe you've done it a long time ago, please go to my website and do the money archetype quiz to find out what your main money archetypes are. Second, I also invite you to download the workbook that's in the show notes to follow along with me. I have created a little workbook for you about these eight money archetypes, which also includes self-coaching prompts to help you get the best results possible on a self-healing journey. So scroll down in the show notes to get you a copy. So before I dive in, I have a question for you. What would you tell a young child who asks you, what is money? Personally, I would say this. Money is something you use to get what you want if what you want costs money. And if they ask, where does it come from? My answer would be, it comes from you. It comes from human beings. It comes from us. We have the power to create this money. Your first experience and the first um, information, whether directly or indirectly, that you receive in childhood about money will shape how you feel about it and how you behave with it as an adult. When we are children, especially between the ages of 2 and 12, we are like sponges. We absorb everything around us and we interpret everything through our limited maturity because we're children. And unfortunately, well, well, you know, it's not really unfortunate. It is what it is, right? What we interpret, what we internalize becomes our beliefs. And these beliefs can follow us into adulthood. Our beliefs around money are also shaped by big T trauma and little t trauma that can impact our sense of worth, security, lovability, and even belonging. My first money memory was when one of my parents, I can't remember who it was, um, either my mom or my dad, they gave me a coin um, and took me, took my hand and we crossed the street and we gave the coin to a man who had a carriage and in exchange for my coin, <clears throat> that man gave me a fluffy and delicious oval shaped, um, sesame seeded piece of the most delicious bread I've ever had at the time. It's called karek. So 
I became obsessed. I started scavenging for all the coins around the house and then saving them and then dashing out as soon as I heard the man yelling out kayak kayak in the street. It was the 80s in Jordan and, you know, in the 80s things were different and this man was just uh, dragging his carriage, selling this beautiful luscious bread and I would just hear him yell, or call out, and I would just take my money and give it to the, to, the, to the street vendor, and he would give me bread in return. I would buy the bread, and then what I did was that I uh, created like something that looked similar to the man's carriage, and then I would go around the house and sell the bread back to my parents to make the money back. And then I would take that money and buy the bread again. <laughs> I think I was four. And that is one of my first money memories. From being my parents' daughter and from living in the Middle East, as I said, in the mid-80s when things were really, uh, you know, unstable at the time, I also learned that money made adults angry, that money made adults fight, and that if you were not given money by dad, that meant that you were being bad. So I quickly decided at the time that I was going to be good at money. And this is how my warrior archetype was developed. The warrior part of you is the is the, the um, archetype or that part of you that is calculating and disciplined and knows what to do with money. It's the part of you that perhaps even gets excited when you look at a spreadsheet, gets excited when you organize your money and is very discerning and is very in touch with what's right for you and is very, very goal oriented. So there are eight money archetypes and throughout the years, because I'm a money nerd and this is my, this is my life's work. Throughout my career, I was able to trace back the creation or the beginning story or the money belief that gave birth to each of my money archetypes. So the cool thing is that all eight of these money archetypes are within you. They're within all of us, okay? So if you look at your results, you will see how some of these archetypes will come up as passive and some as active. And I like to think about these passive archetypes are, are as just dormant. Because after doing a lot of my own work, I was able to reduce one of my, I would say, sabotaging archetypes, which is the tyrant, um, which is the part of you that's really critical and very strict and very like, um, what's the word? Like very judgmental of yourself and others when it comes to money, very like success driven and restriction oriented. So I was able to reduce my tyrant archetype um, so it no longer takes the wheel um, when it comes to my finances but here's the thing when the tyrant archetype is needed even though now when I look at my quiz results it is set to passive she is going to speak up like when I get um, a charge in my bank that shouldn't be there oh my god the tyrant is gonna <laughs> rear her head and she will speak up so these archetypes, even if they look like they're passive on your on your uh, um, quiz results, it's either that they're passive because you've healed them or they're passive because there is a part of you that is dissociated when it comes to money. So six out of eight 
of these archetypes are protective adaptive mechanisms that will speak up or act out when your nervous system does not feel safe. And these six out of eight, they seem like they're sabotaging us or sabotaging our financial progress, but they're actually not. I'm going to explain to you what happens. So your nervous system functions on a subconscious level. Whatever it detects as threat happens beneath the radar of your conscious awareness. And here's the other thing. Whatever signals the alarm in your nervous system is sometimes based on your past and not on reality. So if you've had an incident in your childhood that impacted your sense of worth, then money will subconsciously be a red flag to your nervous system because money has such a direct effect and such a direct measure of worth in our society. So depending on how you internalize the hypothetical solution that I just mentioned, which is something happened and and it impacted your sense of worth. So however you internalize that and how you internalize it depends on many things. It depends on your upbringing, your culture, your attachment style, your personality, um, a lot of things that I cannot summarize in one podcast episode, to be honest. So the way we internalize that hypothetical situation that I just mentioned, um, that something happened to you that threatened your sense of worth, that something happened to you that threatened your sense of worth. Jeez, my words, I can't speak anymore. Um, And by the way, it doesn't have to be anything massive. So many times my clients and I, we uh, go back and isolate the source of their depleted sense of worth to not having the same cool shoes or backpack in school or being said no to in the toy store. And obviously sometimes it is a bigger, you know, a bigger traumatic event, but small t trauma for a child really affects us. Okay. So when you go to a school and everybody looks cooler than you, or you, when you go to your friend's house and their houses are bigger, you can internalize that as you're not as worthy. Or if you were said no to at the toy store, or you you're said no to many times, you can also internalize that in many different ways. So depending on you and how you internalize your innocent archetype or your victim might get activated when money is concerned. Okay, so first let's just um, list the eight money archetypes before I lose you here. There's the innocent, the victim, the warrior, the martyr, the creator artist, the fool, the tyrant, and the magician. Okay, so if you if something happened and it activated a sense of I'm not worthy, this belief that you're not worthy and money, then registers as unsafe to your nervous system, what can happen is your innocent will start becoming the the driver of the bus when it comes to money, okay? So when your innocent is driving the bus, you become ruled by money anxiety no matter how much you are earning, and you judge yourself for not knowing what to do with money. It all feels so hard and insurmountable. It's like your inner five-year-old is your money manager. That's why money can feel super hard and you cannot trust yourself with money. And people might even say you're indecisive and that will make you feel alone and scared. 
And if that particular hypothetical situation, for example, activated your victim archetype instead of the innocent, or sometimes there are two or three archetypes that are working together when it comes to money. So when money is concerned, your victim will show up instead and drive the money bus. And what what happens is that you will start hearing yourself blaming everyone in the world except for yourself for your financial situation. So it is um, having or being in your victim is truly frustrating and it angers people when they see that in their chart. And here's the thing, people with a high victim are resistant to the idea that their victim is being activated because they're still in the mindset of wanting to blame everyone in the world except for themselves. And that's fine. I was Uh, in, in other aspects in my life, I used to be in my victim archetype. But what really helped me is when I decided to take ownership and responsibility for my situation. So if you look at your chart and you're like, shit, I've got a high victim, just know that when you're ready to take responsibility and you don't have to force yourself because the blaming is a protective mechanism for now and it's serving you until it doesn't, um, When you are able, when you are ready to take responsibility, you will realize you are not so powerless and that the freedom that you crave is actually within your hands and just a healing journey away. But what if whatever happened in childhood activates the martyr archetype when money is concerned? You know that the martyr archetype has taken charge of the money bus <laughs> when you feel so unsafe and so inadequate when it comes to worth, when it comes to your sense of security, and when it comes to money. So you can feel so unworthy of money to a point where you subconsciously decide to bend over backwards and please everyone around you on your expense just so that you feel secure and safe and sometimes even important. You end up um, overgiving, whether it's to your clients or overdoing if you're employed, to a point where you become depleted and resentful. You find yourself staying up late, working your ass off, and you spend money on everyone before you take care of yourself. And when the martyr is in charge, you will have difficulty receiving and also maintaining wealth and abundance. But what if this uh, hypothetical situation, and I know I say hypothetical, but I would say like 90%, 90% of the people, including myself, that have come through my Zoom doors, <laughs> my practice, have had this incident where they uh, felt worthless because some something happened in childhood that affected their sense of worth and money triggers their nervous system into reaction because they just feel like it's threatening their sense of worth, right? No one wants that. So what if that actually does not trigger any of the archetypes I mentioned, but it triggers your full archetype? So when your full archetype is driving, that is when money slips through your fingertips. It comes and then it goes. Sometimes you don't even where you don't even know where it goes. You pay your debt and suddenly you're back in debt again. 
So that is when the full archetype is the one that is managing your finances. Again, all these sound like they're they're sabotaging behaviors and patterns. And yes, of course, they're limiting your progress. However, when we start looking at them from the lens of, oh, these are just protector parts. And what are they trying to protect me from? that is when you start making real financial progress. You can learn about the rest of the archetypes through the quiz and through the book um, that is in the show notes. And here's here's something that I want to add before we end the episode. The innocent, the victim, the tyrant, the fool, and the creator artist, and the martyr, so six out of eight, they are protectors. They might seem as saboteurs, but they are actually younger parts of you that felt like they had to take on the role of your protectors at a certain point of um, rupture in your childhood. Something happened and created the injury or like the emotional injury or the wound. So these parts of you, the innocent, the victim, the tyrant, the fool, the creator artist, and the martyr, They are younger parts of you that decided to protect you at that time. They are still stuck in that point in time. They are pretty much stuck in their children. And that is why they don't know how to manage your finances in the right way. Underneath all of these archetypes, underneath these six archetypes, are your warrior and your magician. So, as I mentioned before, the warrior is the part of you that is in charge of the practical side of money. However, your magician is the part of you that is in charge with the energetic and the creative side of money. I like to liken our magician money archetype to the part of us that is all-knowing, the part of us that is wise, the part of us that is always cool, calm, cool, and collected, that um, witness, you know, that part of you that witnesses everything that you can access just by being quiet, the all-knowing part. So... What I want for you and what I work with with my clients is that we want both the warrior and the magician to be driving the money bus, okay? While everybody else, all the other money archetypes are in the back eating snacks and singing the wheels on the bus go round and round. They are not protectors. They don't have a job anymore. Um, they, we, you know, we did the healing work. They don't, they don't need to protect us anymore. And they trust us. They trust the warrior and the magician and everything will run smoothly with your finances. Okay. So what we want is for you to have a strong money magician and a strong warrior archetype. These are the two things that we focus on inside of my program, create fulfilling abundance. So It is broken down into three parts. The first part is about healing. Second part is about empowering. And the third part is about creating and manifesting. Because that magician part of you is so wise and so discerning. It is the part of you that is the manifester. That's the part of you that can create anything you desire. But like I was saying earlier in the episode, what covers the potency of your magician archetype is your wounding. And that's why we start with healing. Thank you so much for listening. And if you have any questions, 
please feel free to DM me or email me. Um, and if you would like my help in understanding what money archetypes are driving your money bus, what money archetypes are standing in the way between you and your financial dreams, between you and abundance, just book a money archetype strategy call with me. I offer a handful of complimentary strategy calls a month. So just also DM me to get that booked. And I will love you and leave you until next time. Bye for now.